0: Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. This is a CBC Podcast. At one point in our conversation, Elliot Page was talking about what he brought to his role as Juno in the film Juno. I didn't quite understand him, and he looked at me and said... What I'm saying is my queerness and my transness is what made Juno cool. My conversation with Elliot is not just looking back at everything they've overcome to get to the point they're at now, but also embracing the things that bring them joy and what they need to keep reminding themselves for the future. My conversation with Elliot Page coming up. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. You might remember this uh, from the news at the time when he was 20. The actor Elliot Page, who's from Halifax, Nova Scotia, was nominated for an Academy Award. It made a lot of news because at the time it made him the fourth youngest person up for his category. And because it was for the movie Juno, where Elliot played a young person facing the decision of what to do with an unplanned pregnancy. That role, Juno, made Elliot a star and led to big roles for him in films like Inception and X-Men and Hard Candy. But here's what we didn't know. All that time, before that time, Elliot was facing a deep inner struggle. It took him years to come out as gay, which he did in 2014 in a very public speech. And then in 2020, Elliot Page came out as trans, again in a very public Instagram post and, and magazine cover. So Elliot's new memoir, Pageboy, is about something more private. The struggle to understand who you really are, to live as your most authentic self— In the entertainment industry, which doesn't prioritize any of that. I'm so happy to tell you the book also tells the story of a fellow who's found himself healed and found joy in his life. I got to sit down with Elliot Page at his publisher's office in Toronto. Here's our conversation. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. How about you? Not too bad. Uh, Congratulations on the book. Thank you so much. I uh, loved reading it. Um, I've already told you a little bit about why I loved reading it, because it, it had some lovely nostalgic things for another, you know, 36 year old growing up on the East coast of Canada.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but I, I, I was kind of curious about why you, I think there comes a time in everybody's life where they decide, okay, I'm going to tell my own story or everyone in a memoir's life. Like I'm going, I'm going to tell my own story. What, what was that moment
1: for you? Goodness. I think there were, it was a couple things, I suppose. And, um, You know, like writing a book had come up before in in my life and I couldn't wrap really my head around it. And, and, And I didn't really think it was possible, quite frankly. I mean, when it came up again and then when I actually did have, you know, space that was open to potentially embark on such a thing, I really felt so exhilarated because for the first time I could actually sit down with myself, was comfortable enough to do such a thing, had the space in in my brain to actually create. And in many ways, it was as, as if I started writing and words just came, like I couldn't stop. And that sensation was so incredibly exhilarating. And in this Climate. We've found ourselves with such extreme anti-trans rhetoric, lies and misinformation about our lives. It felt like an opportunity to, um, to grasp with having this platform that I have in knowing how much stories have helped me, have changed my life, have offered me comfort and support and I felt like by potentially sharing mine if that could reach anyone and allow them to feel less alone or seen that felt worth it to me I suppose and uh and yeah it, those two things like happened to collide I'd, I'd say at, at, at the same time you said you, you didn't think it was possible for a while what, what do you mean by that oh I mean I was just so uncomfortable in, in myself, the the thought of even being able to sit down for hours and create was not feasible, like not, not a part of my reality uh, at all. And since stepping into my truth, so, so to speak, and being a bo- in a body that feels like my own feeling, embodied in the way that they I do, uh, confidence in the way that I do, the sort of creative energy and force that has come uh, th- with that through that has just been kind of, you know, indescribable, not something that I had imagined in my past. I did struggle to, to see a future. I did not know uh, what my future would look like. Really? Uh-huh. And so that's, yeah, that's what I mean by that. I mean, what a beautiful feeling. Yeah yeah not something i the way I feel now and the the presence I feel now is is not something that I believe to be possible in the past that's lovely thanks at the
0: beginning of the book you you're very clear trans narratives are not a monolith. My story is not the story of every trans person, please don't read it that way. This is my own story. yeah t- t- talk to me about why you wanted to start the book that way
1: Well, I feel you know obviously there's more representation than there's been in the past, of course, but there's still very little. And it's something I uh, obviously am, 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 mind- am mindful of and the complexities that come with visibility. N- no doubt it's important, it's crucial. You know, uh, uh, it's, it's meant so much to me people being visible, um, seeing ourselves reflected, knowing we're not alone with these thoughts we're having with this shame we're carrying that we shouldn't be, that's not our own. Um, But also, uh, you know, backlash comes with visibility, which disproportionately affects, of course, the most marginalized and vulnerable people in the community in my life is not reflective of most trans people's experiences. People who disproportionately experience unemployment, experience homelessness, violence, um, incarceration, particularly black trans people and it's yeah it's just it's it's important that you know my story is not some sort of universalized story for potentially some people who might not be as familiar with the trans community or have not read a lot of the books by trans and queer authors that I most certainly wish people would read.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. But people would read the worry that people would read your story and go like, well, now I get it. Exactly. Now now, now I understand the right. trans experience. Yeah. Shortly in the book, not the not the very first part, because I know the very first chapter was sort of came out of you um, very naturally. I've heard you talk about that. You know, you sort of writing and it just kind of streamed out of you the very first first chapter. But then the second chapter. I was curious as to why it came so early in the book. And it's sort of about the, I think you could call it the sexuality sweepstakes. And um, it's around maybe the months before Juno comes out or right around the time Juno comes out. And there's a lot of uh, speculation. And I, I might even add like pretty gross speculation, including here in Canada around, around you. Why did you want to go there so early in the book?
1: Well, I mean, the book obviously is (laughs) (laughs) nonlinear and inherently is is nonlinear and structured that way to at least, you know, for me to reflect mm, how I feel in my experience as a trans and queer person. And I think a lot of people can relate to knowing who you are when you're really Young, but not necessarily having the language for it, then getting older, a lot of noise getting in the way, people filling you with ideas and and narratives that mislead you from your truth, Um, getting close, pulling back, getting close, pulling back, which is, you know, reflected in this book. And um, for me, I wanted to start with a period that was in a time when I really... I I felt like I was creeping closer to my truth, so to speak, or at least getting to a place where I was no longer going to allow shame to rule my life as much as it had growing up and in my adolescence. Shame, shame. Shame, yeah. And um, occupy, you know, my mind and my body or my desires or what have you. And... So, you know, the first chapter sort of leading to that point. And then I felt like it was important to show that then that shift into being known and the first time when, you know, uh most people learned who I was as an actor and what have you. Yeah. Um, the impact of, you know, the sort of speculation and, and headlines that you're speaking to and the pressure from the Hollywood machine, you know, to deny and reject the person that I am. And uh, so it felt sort of important to kind of launch off with that.
0: Kind of set up the stakes for what you were dealing with at the time. Sure. How did you feel writing about the shame?
1: Like just the experience of writing about it? Yeah, especially
0: in your early days, yeah.
1: Ooh. It's a hard one.
0: I find shame the hardest emotion to deal with in my own life. Yeah, I find guilt easier. I find anger easier. I find joy and all that stuff very pleasant. Mm-hmm. But when something boils down to shame for me, I find it very hard to access and even admit to myself. So I, I was curious about the act of having to write about feeling internalized shame when you were
1: young, In many ways, there was something incredibly cathartic and healing writing about it to be able to revisit those periods and write about it in an honest way. I think particularly, you know, in that time or in that time after Juno came out, I felt guilty and (laughs) um, about feeling any negative emotion. Like I uh, just felt... Oh you're so ungrateful. Yeah. Like, this is this thing so many people want and um being told your dreams are coming true all the time when quite frankly I was not feeling that way. That was yeah. not a celebratory time for me whatsoever. And I was quite miserable, quite frankly. So writing about it was I mean interesting because sometimes it, it it could be difficult like I would have a physiological response, you know feel my body curling in, like, really? oh yeah, It's sweaty, like really, and, and I don't know too if it's because I'm never written a book before, you know, and I don't know if it's because I'm an actor, so there's like a physical element to my work, and I don't know if I'm like feeling that, and that's what allows words to happen or vice versa or what's going on there, but um, but there was something incredibly healing to write, very honestly and vulnerably and openly, particularly about a time where I was so, so, so closeted. And, like, yeah, like, private's not the word, that it's closeted, you know? And to be able to sit and just write it all out without judging myself, at least not judging myself too much, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> it uh, was, you know, a new experience for me.
0: Yeah, I'm not surprised you had that sort of, I've heard that before, about people having these sort of like physical, visceral reactions to kind of writing down these yeah. childhood experiences or like young, young experiences. Yeah. There's um, something to be said for that time, too, because, I mean, I only knew you from movies and TV and stuff like that. What, what struck me reading this book is the characters you were playing, I mean, help me out here, were very like outspoken. Like, your your roles in f- TV and film were almost known for being, if you were to be typecast as anything, it would be for, like, being this outspoken, you know, sort of confident character. And, of course, as a viewer, you can get that conflated with the person behind the, I mean, it's common, right? Did that irony ever descend on you that you were making your living and and getting fame and attention, playing these really outspoken characters while inside sort of hiding your own self?
1: Mm. Well, in some ways, I think, like, particularly in my late teens, in some ways, I really, I I was confident and outspoken. I Mm. could take the producer of Juno to use clothing stores in Vancouver and being like, this is what she's going to wear, you know, and felt felt able to to communicate those things at least from a creative standpoint and then in so many ways I feel like that got squashed i mean literally in the when that movie became the surprise hit it became unprofitable all of a sudden they didn't seem to want the magic that i brought to that character that made that character special you know no like that was Shoved away, you know.
0: You had gotten this. I must help help me understand this. You had gotten this. I'm saying I
1: think my queerness and my transness is a part of what made Juno cool, (laughs) you know, what made that character special and and resonate in a new way, particularly with a lot of young audience members, you know. And and then in terms of the actual promoting of, of, of the film and its success, that was apparently not allowed in that space. I understand. And I think entering, you know, I'd been working since I was 10, but not obviously, like, in the midst of that very, very Hollywood world, which yep. was a shock to me and all very, very new for me. Yeah, Pit Pony's not quite the same. <laughs> Pit Pony's not quite the same. <laughs> and I think I, you know, I got, you know, veered off course in regards to my own personal trajectory and what I needed to um where I needed to get to in my life and obviously I I, I made a choice to go along with it but it definitely felt like mm, I didn't feel like I had that much of a choice though no. yeah and and I don't know why it took so long that's a part of how I felt writing the book if there was some sort of like big question as I wrote the book one of my one of the ones that kept coming up for me was Why did this take so long? What do you mean, like, why did this take so long? Coming out, becoming my authentic self. Why did that have to take so long? I feel like I lost a lot of time. Did you get any answers? Yeah, a few. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, in writing about the times where I dealt with the, you know, My external world, how I was being perceived or the ways in which I was shamed or dismissed or told to not be myself or that being myself was a bad thing. If I was myself, I wasn't going to have success or in the moments in my life where I did try to come out on some level or did try to make the first even tiny little steps to share who I was, whether in personal life with family or um in the industry itself some of the reactions and the feedback i got understandably just created this layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of shame and embarrassment that i swallowed and it lived in my body and um and helped and it held me back did you have to let yourself off the hook for those feelings as i was writing the book you mean you i know, guess I, so I don't
0: even know, Elliot. What I want to ask about that? There's, there's something nagging in my head, but I want to be careful about it. Like, if you, if you're, when you say to me, you know, Tom, the, the feeling I had was, "What took so long?" And you know, when you have shame built into you and all that stuff, I wondered, like, did you have to let yourself off the hook for why did it take so long?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I have a lot of, you know, compassion for myself, of course. Yeah, um, I felt very alone in those periods, very yeah. isolated. I didn't really have like a queer community. I didn't, I did have a lot to like dig through to get to where I needed to be and a lot of pressure to not get there. Um, and at the same time, it's, I do, you know, reflect back and know that, you know, I, I very much played a role in that as well.
0: Out of the way you write about the people who were kind to you, I love the way you write about, um, is it Catherine Keener, mm-hmm. the C, C. Keens? Do you still have the tattoo yeah. by then? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right there? Yeah. yeah. The, for people who don't know, like the actor, uh, Catherine, uh, Catherine Keener. Keener. Well, you, you tell me. What, what am I going to do? Oh. I'll tell you. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> Ellie, let me tell you what she did. Yeah. No, please, t- t- like, talk to me a little bit about, I love that chapter, about how helpful she was during this time of your life, you know, that you just finished talking to me about, or you think you finished talking to me about, um, how she was able to, to help you.
1: Yeah, I don't know who I'd be or where I'd be without Keener. Um, We met shooting a film called An American Crime, which is a very intense film based on a true story from the uh, mid-'60s in in Indiana. I played a character named Sylvia Likens who was brutally, brutally abused, um, mostly by this woman that Catherine played. And I was struggling in that period personally and playing that character was not easy and we um oh we really clicked kind of immediately and I'd already looked up to her I mean so much she was one of my favorite actors of all time so the fact that I was just getting to work with her was sensational and she just offered me so much love and support and care, and is a person who's always seen me for me and always only ever encouraged me to be honest in myself and then later, when uh I was in Los Angeles all the time during you know the sort of pinnacle of Juno's success and leading up to the Oscars and all of that, she took me from the hotel I was basically living in and let me live with her and really, really took care of me through that time and has always been there for me ever since. What were the feelings you had when you wrote about the people who helped you? Deep, deep gratitude. Yeah. You know, because when I say I don't know where I'd be without these certain people in my life, I really don't, you know. I actually really don't, yeah.
0: More of my conversation with Elliot Page after this on Q.
1: Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jessie
0: Crookshank.
1: Jessie. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend.
0: Girl, let's phone a
1: friend! Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl.
0: New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah! Thursdays, wherever you get your
1: podcasts. So girl, yeah, it- okay, that's enough. I feel so much joy when I'm hanging out with my trans friends, and we're just together and sharing space and laughing and doing karaoke. And you know, to me, that's key right now for joy is is community.
0: What's key for joy is community. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. You're in the middle of my conversation with the actor Elliot Page, who just released his first book. It's a memoir called Page Boy. It's about growing up in Halifax, Nova Scotia. It's about acting in big Hollywood films. It's about the abuse that he has suffered along the way. It's about coming out as gay. It's about then coming out as trans. That then coming out as trans is important to mention here because this whole journey was a process. Elliot came out as trans in 2020— but it was 2014 when he first told the world that he was gay. I wanted to ask him about that decision because, you know, most people when they come out, they would do it. They, they would talk to their friends and they would talk to their family. It's it's a, it's a somewhat private thing to do. But, you know, Elliot, given that he's a big movie star, had to make all these things very public. And I asked him what he remembered about the day he did it. So that's where we picked things up. Here's more of my conversation with Elliot Page. What strikes me, Elliot, is is that A couple of things that that some people do privately and to their friends and family, like coming out to to friends and family, you did or had to do very publicly. And actually, just before I walked over here, I watched the video of you in Vegas coming out as gay. I love the way you write about that in the book. What do you remember from that day?
1: I remember being so nervous. Yeah. Yeah next level, nervous, um, rereading and rereading and rereading and rereading the speech over and over again to try and make it like not doing everything I could to make it like emotionless on some level. Because at first, like, I just couldn't even, I couldn't get through it. I like couldn't get through a paragraph. Just, I you start crying. carried so much emotion with yeah. that. Yeah. And um, had been so closeted for so long. You know, this was I came out when I was just, you know, a week before my twenty-seventh birthday. And I just I remember getting to the hotel room in Vegas, like waiting before the uh before the moment and just laying in bed, just like holding my body, staring at nothing at all, just praying I wouldn't have a panic attack on stage. <laughs> just like, please get through this. So a mixture of extreme nerves and the thrill of finally finally being in a place to do that and to make that step which wasn't where I ultimately needed to get to. Yeah. But was a giant leap towards it. It's not right away either. I watched the speech before I came here. Like
0: I thought when I watched because I read about it in the book and I figured I, I must watch it. And when I watched the big be- I thought well he's going to do it right off the top. <laughs> But it's like six minutes in, so I can only imagine the trepidation and the nervousness you were feeling up until that moment. Yeah. And then I see this big... <sighs> kind of happen afterwards. Yeah. How was it afterwards? How was, the, how was the rest of the day? How was the...
1: The rest of the day was well like that. There was uh, essentially a giant full-body... Exhale, and as if a bag of bricks, I'd let go of. You know, really, truly, in an instant. The rest of the day was, I think, right after. Very briefly, went to like a queer bar, uh, but then I had to fly. I had to quickly get to Montreal for reshoots for X Men. But then, even on that set, it was people were just like, "You seem so different." Yeah. I was like, "Yeah, I am." <laughs> I am. So, again, you know, sure, there's been sort of multiple coming outs in my life. And I think we always focus on, like, before and after, particularly with trans narratives. But to me, it's uh, such a—sort of like the structure of the book, such a nonlinear experience in yeah. so many ways. And that I wouldn't have gotten to where I needed to be without that moment and the space and the freedom that that allowed in my life. And— first major step in having excavated a lot of shame that I'd been carrying.
0: When did you, I want to be careful how I ask this. When did you start to realize what it might mean for you to come out as trans?
1: Do you know what you mean? I do know what you mean. It's, I mean, that's a good question because I, I even think back to well I mean I think back to and I write about this in the book around my 30th birthday like right before I turned 30 or right after and that was the f- first time I very much to myself and out loud to very few people but some was starting to say like I'm trans I think I'm trans. Yeah. And I I allowed that to exist for a moment and then I I really, really did. I shoved that away. And I think, I don't think, a big part of that reason was, well, clearly I wasn't ready, I guess. But also the sense of how is this possible? Like, just as a known actor, what does that look like? What does it mean to transition publicly? Like, it just felt so big, as it always had before, when I did have a sense of who I was, very much so, and I would kind of constantly talk myself out of it, you know. Oh, no, you just need to learn to be more comfortable. You just need to get tighter sports bras. You just need to dress this way. You just need to get this haircut. You do, 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 do. And trying all these things because I was struggling to wrap my head around what, what that, how would that look like? What, what would that mean? And then, of course, you know, it wasn't for a few more years till... I actually made the steps I, I needed to make to be myself and live my life.
0: 3.5 million Instagram likes on that post, I think.
1: The statement I wrote? Yeah. You yeah.
0: Again, back to the the curiosity is not on the scale, but on the publicness, if that's a word. Of uh, what is now because it's on the CBC, uh, the, the publicness of it, the, the thing that some people have to do privately, or some people have to do, you know, to friends and family or for co workers and stuff like that, like so, such a public thing to do. What happens after that Instagram, after that post goes up? What does your phone look like? What does?
1: I think I think I might have put the phone down. <laughs> My friend Mark, actually, uh, who I write about in the book, who's in the first and the last chapter, and who is from Toronto. And took care of me, came in and took care of me after my surgery. He lives three hours outside of the city, but he actually came in back in for that day, which was very sweet of him. Nice. Um, 'cause very nice. Because it was intense, you know, isolation period during the pandemic. And as I recall, it was very much a time of, yeah, setting, setting the phone aside and us just going for a walk with the dog and, you know, just... But, um, you know, I felt enormous support from people, of course. Um, a lot of people close to me, of course, already knew, and if they didn't know, weren't remotely surprised, and uh, and anyone who was, you know, just sent sent love to me, and I made a point of not looking at a lot of things because I you know oh, yeah. I didn't want to invite in anything that was going to be like hateful or. Are harmful, you know.
0: You didn't want to. You didn't want to look look too hard for anything that might make you feel a certain way. Or yeah. Feel more that shame, or more that.
1: Yeah. Don't need that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, we were talking about this in the office, and I was talking about this with a friend of mine last night. Like, there's a world in which coming out as trans in like 2010 might be easier than coming out as trans in 2023. You know, you have, as you mentioned earlier, like tremendous anti-trans rhetoric in the in the world right now. I mean not not just rhetoric, legislation, mm-hmm. violence, hatred. Mainstreamized hatred. How much has that been on your mind specifically as you've been doing this press tour?
1: It's on my mind a lot, you know, and yeah. it's on a lot of people's minds. Uh, unfortunately, of course. Um I suppose it if anything I do my best to turn it into motivation to continue to be myself and share my story without holding back or not a, like allowing myself to feel uh, affected by the hate that comes towards me you know I know who I am and I'm gonna express the joy I feel and I want to be mindful in the sense that it makes me use my privilege and my platform to do what I can in whatever way I can to help create change and hopefully offer, you know, I guess, what I can, you know. What's bringing you
0: joy these days?
1: All kinds of stuff. <laughs> I mean, when you go from being absurdly uncomfortable all the time yeah, um, to the degree that you can, like, barely Think or function? Excuse me. Actually, I go on. Say to the you. f word. Listen.
0: At this point, Elliot, uh, you're such a Canadian icon that uh, <laughs> I think you can say "fucking" to CBC. I okay. think you're allowed. Thanks, CBC. Yeah, no problem. One time only. Yeah. <laughs> jo- Joni Mitchell's allowed to smoke, and you're allowed to say "fucking."
1: Oh, uh, okay, what it cool. Is, yeah. Wow, that's an yeah. honor. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, to go from being barely able to to think or function to not really understand how people go about their lives, like to waking up and feeling present and feeling embodied, I mean, that's joy to me. It's having coffee in the silence with my dog in the morning, truly. Um, So it's, of course, the big obvious moments. And for me, it's also very much the moments in stillness. Mm. And so much for me right now when we do think about all the horrificness in regards to laws being passed and hate towards us being, you know, weaponized and used to to gain votes and power. Really, I feel so much joy when I'm hanging out with my trans friends and we're just together and sharing space and laughing and doing karaoke and, you know, like when I was up here shooting the fourth season, like, friends visited and go to Canada's Wonderland and go on roller coasters and walk to High Park and wander around for hours and community, to me that's key right now for joy is, is community
0: I just want to tell you how, first of all, how grateful I am to, to get a chance to talk to you about this and just how much love I felt and we all felt for you when we were reading this book And thanks so much for taking the time and talking to us today nice to have you
1: Oh, thanks for having me, I appreciate it
0: All right, that's it for this episode of Q. Uh, again, I'm very grateful to Elliot for the conversation, and I, and I want to let you know that's available on our YouTube channel and, and all that stuff. Uh, so, so great to have a chance to talk to Elliot, especially since after, <laughs> we didn't get it on microphone, but afterwards, um, he, he and I, and we're, we're both just dudes from the East Coast of Canada. We talked about our, our love of uh, the game Aladdin for the Sega Genesis. The, the best version of it the super nintendo version not as good the other episode we have up today is my conversation with charlotte cardan who in 2022 won album of the year the junos for her debut record how do you make another record after that charlotte cardan's gonna be here to talk about the pressure she felt the pressure she didn't feel and you're gonna get to hear her this is rare perform a song on our grand piano all right check it out later on